Welcome to Just Plain Tim, a podcast where we discuss life, faith, family, the past, the present, the future, and everything in between. Now, here's your host, Tim Parrish. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Just Plain Tim. Uh, so glad that you have decided to join us for another episode. This is uh, the second episode in the series, uh, What's Next? And so if you wonder what's next, well, this is part two of what's next. Um, in this episode, uh, which was also filmed outside, uh, you'll you'll hear some uh, uh, birds and bugs and things in the background as well. Uh, filmed this one out on our family farm in Westport. Uh, talk a little bit about how sometimes when we're asking what's next, it's because we're really ready for whatever's next, good or bad. We're, we're ready to, to move on to whatever's next. And sometimes, well, asking the question, what's next and, and getting to it requires some waiting. And uh, that's something I don't enjoy very much. And I've tried to become a more patient person. I've tried to be a, a person that can uh, sit back a little bit longer, but that's really hard for me. And so uh, let's listen in to uh, the first part of this lesson on how waiting is the hardest part sometimes of what's next. If I ask you to make a list of the things that you're not good at, what would be on the top of that list? Well, for me, aside from the fact that I would have a really long list because there's a lot of stuff I'm just no good at, it's not hard for me to come up with things that I think would be at the top of my don't do well list, or maybe that puts it at the bottom, I'm not sure, but of the things I really don't do well, one of the one of the things I do the worst is waiting. Oh man, I hate to wait. I don't like to wait at the doctor's office. I don't like to wait at a restaurant. I don't like to wait in line. I don't like to wait in traffic. I don't like to wait. I will admit that I probably am a victim, as many of us are, of our instant gratification kind of society so that what we want we usually can get right away and and if we can't get what we want right away then right away we can probably get something that we have decided is an acceptable substitute whatever it is I just don't want to have to wait if I'm supposed to be somewhere at a certain time I want to be there at a certain time but I want you to be there too if, if something is supposed to happen at a certain time, I, I don't want it to wait five minutes after that. I, I want it to happen then because I don't like to wait. Now, I guess deep down that's probably a symptom of selfishness. It probably means that uh, a lot of times I put what I want, my wants and needs and desires uh, above other people's. And I think somehow my time is more valuable or something like that. But I don't want this morning's time together to be uh, a time of psychoanalysis where you get to figure out all the things that are wrong with Tim. I, I just wanted to make the point first that I can't stand waiting. And I think one of the things that makes waiting hard is that sometimes when we're waiting, we're not really sure that what we're waiting for is worth it. We're not really sure that, that what we're waiting to happen is going to happen. And if it does, it may just leave us feeling disappointed. Wondering, why did we bother waiting for this? Maybe you felt that way. The three people who live in the house with me can sure tell you they feel that way 
when I'm around because I tend to make everybody feel that way. I wonder if that's kind of how the disciples of Jesus felt. You see, they had been on such a roller coaster ride, those, those 12 and, and the others who were with them. In fact, when we get into the, the early pages of the book of Acts, we find that at one point there's as many of, as 120 of them gathered together. And they're waiting. They're just waiting. They've been watching and waiting all along, and, and, and they've had to learn that, that sometimes Jesus doesn't do things on the timetable that they want them to happen. Sometimes they've had to wait for Jesus or wait on Jesus, or sometimes they've seen Jesus wait at times that they really wished he wouldn't wait. But one of the things is abundantly clear in these last days of Jesus' time on the earth, the prevailing theme seems to be wait. Just wait. You see, they, they had watched Jesus go to the cross just a few days after being welcomed into the city of Jerusalem like a conquering hero. And then they saw that he went to the tomb. And then they saw that he was out of the tomb. And, and they saw the empty tomb. And then they saw the risen Jesus. But as I look through the scriptures and I think about what happened when Jesus came out of the tomb, there's a lot of details there that, that I'm not real certain about. It, it doesn't seem that Jesus just came back and was with the 12 or now the 11 all the time. It, it kind of seems like he would make an appearance and then leave. And then he would show up again and then he would leave. And may I confess to you, there's a lot about that that I don't understand. Jesus was physical after he was raised from the dead. He had a body that he invited people to touch. He ate. He drank. We can assume he carried out all human bodily functions. And yet he could just show up, and then he could just disappear. They knew Jesus was alive again, but I'm not sure they understood the implications of it. In fact, we'll see in a, a, just a moment in some of these verses here in Acts 1, some of the questions that they were asking indicated that maybe there were still some things they didn't quite understand about Jesus. But Jesus had told them, wait here, wait here. Wait a little longer. And after 40 days, that period of waiting was over and Jesus left the earth and went back to the heavens with the Father. We'll read about that in a moment. It's pretty amazing. But you know what he told his followers? Right before he left the earth and, and disappeared into the clouds, you know what he said? Wait. Just keep waiting. Something better is coming, and I know that's hard for you to imagine. I know it's hard for you to believe that anything better could be on its way, but just, just wait. Now, when I think about the 12, I sometimes, maybe like a lot of you, tend to identify with the Apostle Peter. He seems uh, quick-tempered and quick-toned, although not always quick to think. And I kind of think maybe he would have been sort of like me. Or I'm sort of like him. I, I suspect Peter is not a guy who likes to be kept waiting. And here I think the waiting that these apostles and disciples did was almost worse because they weren't exactly sure. I, I, Jesus had told them that the Holy Spirit was coming, but I don't think they understood 
until the Holy Spirit was there. And, and even with the miraculous coming of the Holy Spirit, I'm not sure that anybody human can understand the Holy Spirit. So they're waiting for something that they don't quite understand to, to come in a way that they're not certain about to do some things that they haven't quite comprehended to enable them to preach a message that they haven't quite sorted out in their minds. The uncertainty of waiting. Boy, sometimes that's hard. I want to look here in Acts chapter 1 and I want to listen to what Jesus says to them. There are not a lot of red letters left in, in our Bibles once we move past the Gospels. Really, until we get all the way into the book of Revelation, we find Jesus speaking a lot more there. But in Acts chapter 1, we find these words, and I just want to begin reading in verse 1. The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach, until the day when he was taken up to heaven, or, uh, or after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of things concerning the kingdom of God. Now, let's pause there for a moment because we need to understand as long as Jesus was on the earth, the overall theme, the, the, the thing that he talked about the most was the kingdom, the kingdom the kingdom. The entire Sermon on the Mount is about life in the kingdom and citizenship in the kingdom. And then so much of what he says after that is, a, is about the kingdom that he's establishing on the earth, the everlasting kingdom, the kingdom not made with hands that, that will never be diminished in any way. So he's talking to them over 40 days about the kingdom. And then we come down to verse 4, Acts chapter 1, verse 4. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which, he said, you heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons which my Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. Jesus said, listen, there's a lot of questions I know you have, and right now I'm not going to give you those answers. And some of those answers you'd like to have, you're not ever going to get. Some of the stuff you want to know is stuff only my Father knows. So wait, because something great is coming. Wait. You know, this had been the prevailing theme for a long time in Scripture. I think sometimes about Abraham. And I think about the fact that Abraham was 75 years old when God came and spoke to him. Man, I wish I could hear what that sounds like. And he said to him, you're going to have a son. You and Sarah are going to have a son. And I'm going to bless all the earth through your Son, Abraham said, uh, God, I, I appreciate the thought, but I'm a little too old for that, and so is my wife. And God said, listen, don't doubt what I can do. Okay, nothing is impossible with me, and so this is going to happen. It was the same thing he had to tell Mary when, when she was worried about being pregnant before being married and, and how this was going to work. Nothing is impossible for God. Abraham, I'm going to give you a son. When? Just wait. 
Eleven years later, there was no son. Abraham tries to help God along with the Ishmael incident. And I don't really, I don't really give him a lot of grief for that. I don't really blame him for that because, to be fair, he waited 11 years. I don't know that I've ever waited for any one thing to happen like that for 11 years. It was going to be years later before Isaac was born to Abraham and Sarah. 25 years of waiting. I'm only 44 years old right now. 25 years of waiting would have been over half my life. I can't imagine the anticipation. I can't imagine waiting voluntarily for 25 years. But you know why Abraham could wait? Because he knew when God made a promise that God would keep his promise. He understood that God's time was not like ours. Scripture tells us a day in a thousand years. What is that? There's no time that God is bound by, not in the way that, that we are. And so God's timetable, my timetable are not the same. Here, Jesus said something amazing is going to happen. I've been telling you about it, and because you trust my Father, you can trust me. Just wait. Just wait. Well, what do you think so far? Some of you are great waiters, aren't you? I, I don't mean you would do well in a restaurant. I mean, some of you just don't mind waiting. It's just not in you to get worried or upset or anxious about those things that you can't control. And you would say that waiting is one of those things that's out of your hand. Well, I wish I could be more like you. I hope you'll stick around for part two as we talk a little bit more about what happens when you're willing to wait for what's next. This is one of my favorite spots on our farm. My family's owned this farm for, for uh, quite a number of years, and I, I grew up walking up and down these field roads and, and kind of learning different features of the, the land here. But this has always been one of my favorite spots. You can't really see from the angle of the camera, but if you could look directly behind where the camera is standing right now, I'm on the top of the hill and, and the hill just falls off and there's a there's a big tree that stands there and, and it just kind of falls off to a little bottom on the side. Perhaps you can see back behind me, the same thing happens behind me as well. Again, we're on the top of the hill and, and it just falls down to that beautiful little bottom down there. There's just something about being on a hilltop, something about being at a higher vantage point that is powerful emotionally, spiritually. There's something about being in a higher place. Maybe if you'll allow me to, to do a little bit of that preacher metaphorical stuff, maybe one of the reasons is because if I have a problem while I'm down there, if I can get up here and look back at that problem, and now it may not have gone away, but from up here it sure does look smaller. It looks easier to conquer. Now, I'm not trying to talk about some delusional fantasy of, of moving places so things don't appear as they really are. But there's something important about being on a hilltop and the perspective that it gives you when you look around 
at what's below. All through the scriptures, from the book of Genesis onward, there are so many moments where God meets people on those mountaintops, where God shows up and has a conversation with someone, where God does some amazingly powerful thing. Whether you're talking about God communing with with, uh, Noah when the ark came to rest on the top of the mountain, whether you're talking about God and Moses being up on the mountain together, whether you're talking about God and Elijah being on the mountain, so many of those stories. And then when you get into the story of Jesus, so often, where does Jesus go to commune with the Father, to be away from everything else? He goes up on the hill outside the city. Now, the city itself was built on a hill, but he, but he went to a higher place, a place where he could overlook the things that were below. A, a change of perspective was good for Jesus too. Now later on in the book of Acts, we find here in chapter 1, in fact, that when Jesus gathered the apostles and the disciples for this last discussion of waiting together, He took them up to a high place. He went towards Bethany. He went up to Olivet, or the Mount of Olives, the place where the Garden of Gethsemane was. I don't think that's accidental that that a place where Jesus was in intense prayer just before His arrest is the place He now takes those same people back to. Peter, James, and John are there just like they were before, along with several others. And the Bible simply says that Jesus took them up to this place. He talks to them about waiting. And then verse 9, After He had said these things, He was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received Him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while He was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. And they said, Men of Galilee, why are you standing looking into the sky? This Jesus, who's been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched Him go. Jesus says, wait. And and then, I kind of have always pictured this in my mind. Maybe you don't, but I I imagine what it's like to release helium balloons into the sky. I hope you've had that experience at least once. Now, when we watch those balloons go up into the sky, you know, you just keep watching and and you squint your eyes and you strain and you strain and you strain and and you can still see them and then suddenly they're gone. I kind of think it was like that with Jesus. Jesus began to float up. Now, please don't think I'm comparing Jesus to a balloon release, but, but the Bible only gives us so much language to work with. And it says that Jesus was lifted up and they intently looked after him until they couldn't see him anymore. What do you think that did to their ideas about waiting? Maybe they thought it was amazing. Maybe they thought it was spectacular. Maybe they thought to themselves, what in the world? Jesus tells us to wait and then he disappears again and and he's not disappeared like this before. I kind of get the impression he's not coming back. And then those two men, those two messengers show up. And, And we could call them angels if that makes us feel better. Messengers from God for sure is what they were. And they simply said, look, you're watching him go away But we need you to understand, He is coming back. I think the angels told them this message for a lot of reasons maybe, but at least in my mind, the message I want you to take with you today is that the angels told them this message because it was the thing that would allow them to wait. It was the thing that would keep them true and faithful. And quite honestly, it's the thing that for us, 
Over 2,000 years later, it still does the same for us. It keeps us right there. It's the reason we're doing this today. It's the reason that we worship today. It's the reason that this book means something to us today. It's the reason that in just a few minutes we're going to eat bread and, and drink grape juice as reminders of the body and the blood of Jesus. Not because all that happened one time a long time ago as, as a fairy tale, but because the story of Jesus is unfinished. Because Jesus' last words were, wait, something better is coming. Now, once in the next couple of weeks we get over into the book of Acts, we're going to see some of that in chapter 2. We're going to see the powerful coming of the Holy Spirit and the immediate impact that it had, not only on the lives of those people, but on the spread of the gospel. Wait. And I can wait because God makes promises and keeps them. And if God says through these messengers, Jesus is coming back then I know Jesus, just like they watched him go, he's coming back. And that's not a frightening thing for me. It's not a terrifying thing for me because I trust Jesus to handle all of that. Jesus' work on the cross, Jesus' salvation of my soul means that I don't think about Jesus' return with, with anxiety but with joyous anticipation. It's the one thing maybe I'm most willing to wait for. And so we wait, and we watch, and we work, because God said so. Because Jesus said, wait. And God's messenger said, yeah, wait, because He's coming back. And so we wait on our own hilltops, on our own places of perspective. We wait. We wait. Because Jesus will be back. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Just Plain Tim podcast, where we talk about life, faith, family, the past, the present, the future, and everything in between. For your host, Tim Parrish, thanks for stopping by. We'll see you next time.